Well, top of the morning to you. It is our typical Tuesday call. We're doing it on Wednesday because of the 4th of July holiday. It's uh, July 5th. Um, and as always, we'd love to hear from you. You see the contact information on the on the screen there. Hopefully everybody had a happy and safe 4th of July holiday. Let's get after it here. So probably a good bit of today's call. Uh, we got some things going on in the weather that Paige will talk about here in a bit. Uh, weather's better, but really the big news right now is that um, really that acreage report that we got from the USDA. A little bit to talk about on the stocks report, not a heck of a lot, I suppose, but it really was that that soybean acreage number. Um, you see our, our picture over there on the right-hand side. Wait, what? That's when, and I far, saw that 83 and a half million acre soybean number. I kept waiting for a correction to come across my newsfeed, and uh, uh, I'm still waiting. It it never came. That is, uh, uh, it's unprecedented, but it isn't. Um, I'll show you when we get to the numbers. We we have seen something like this before, but I would argue we've really never seen a drop like this with a normal planting cycle. So again, I'll talk a bit more about that when we get into the numbers and we look at some of the other years, but truly something that we haven't seen before. I've been doing this over 40 years and this one probably makes my top five list for uh, wacky USDA reports, unexpected USDA reports. So let's just, if I can get the slides to advance here, kind of uh, uh, before we get into that though, I guess we had a couple things here. Uh, we'll talk about where the soybean acres went. We'll talk about that report. Uh, next Wednesday, uh, actually a week from today, we have the July WASDE when the USDA will make their adjustments uh, from these new and improved acreage numbers that we got. Uh, I've also got some, uh, I suppose, the the, the uh, Black Sea Grain Initiative soap opera continues. Scott, you want to give us a little bit of update of the latest and greatest on uh, on that? Well, yeah, it's it's more of the same, and we talk about it being a soap opera, and it, it certainly is. Um, before we left uh, for the holiday yesterday, on Monday there was talk of a of a compromise, uh, some different sort of a, of a banking um, band aid, if you will, to reconnect the Russian uh, ag bank somehow to the SWIFT banking system, but not directly. Okay. Um, yesterday there was uh, a, a, a Russian. Um, uh, gal, I, I can't remember her title, but but she came out and basically said that ain't going to work. We need full um, restoration back into the SWIFT banking system to extend this deal, which, uh, as you can see there, the deadline is on the 17th. This morning, the, the stories are a little bit, you know, kind of back in the middle. Um, the, 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 the now the Russian, at least from this morning's wires, is the Russian... Um, officials, whomever they are, are saying, um, well, we're still working through it. There, there's been no uh, final ultimate decision yet. Um, so, you know, it, it, it's kind of more of the same. And I'll, I'll say again that if we don't get uh, a new compromise and, and a new extension, I'm not sure that it will... Um, that it will move uh, the markets much, uh, quite honestly. I, that, that's my opinion at this point anyway. Um, we shall see. All right. Well, thank you for that. I think now let's just hop in and talk about this crazy report. So I'm gonna start on the right-hand side, get the stocks part of this out of the way so that we can talk about the acres and what the hell happened. 
Um, <clears throat> in a normal year, you would have looked at that corn stocks number and said, oh my gosh, we lost 150 million bushels of corn that we should have had in the checking account. Reality of the situation is it was still in the range, very close to the bottom of the range, uh, range of trade estimates. But when you look at a little bit less corn this year, even though we're gonna have plenty to get to the finish line, and then you start talking about this acreage side, which will be my segue into the more important part of the report. You know what, a little bit less corn this year, but I'm gonna plant 2.1 million additional acres uh, than what the USDA told me that farmers were gonna plant here on the uh, March intentions report. Uh, really problem, not a problem type of deal. The, the real shocker was that number that you see there in the red circle. We lost 4 million acres between the March intentions report and this report, the June final, uh, I guess, preliminary final acreage number that the USDA does reserve the right to true those up, I think, as we get uh, later in the summer, early fall. Um, so what in the world happened? Um, this is kind of unprecedented. We did see a little bit bigger reduction in 2019, but the market kind of knew that was coming because we had that horribly wet year. We had all that flooding out here in the West. Uh, we had a lot of acres that we knew were going to be prevent planted. And so the market was already bracing for a lower acreage number. When you have a normal planting cycle like this, we've never seen this big a reduction. So where'd the acres go? Well, the total acres seem to be there. When you add everything up and you look at the total population of all stuff that farmers are going to plant, yeah, it's, it's a very, very believable number. It wasn't like a whole bunch of acres got built into apartment buildings all of a sudden in the same year and we're, we're not going to have them. The total is there. But what it looks like is we lost 4 million acres of soybeans and for the most part planted a little bit more of just about everything else. Um, certainly corn acres took more than half of that, up 2.1 million acres. Um, we will be swimming in corn in the U.S. with that acreage number if we make trend yields. Um, and the weather's getting better. Paige will talk about that here in a second. What that means, that soybean number, what that means is we take a very tight soybean situation for old crop, this crop that we're currently using. We thought with the acres that the USDA told us that farmers were going to plant, we expected with normal yields to, to take a big step back away from the edge of the cliff there, if you will that we would see a big rebound back to not burdensomely large levels like we certainly could see here with corn with normal yields, but with normal yields, that would get us back to a much more comfortable stock situation. With 83 and a half, that's just not gonna happen. Um, the R word comes up again, rationing. Are we gonna have to ration? Uh, are we gonna have enough beans to run these crush plants? I'll talk a little bit more about that when I get to the balance sheet, but that's the big issue. Uh, we seem to find more spring wheat acres. Scott, uh, you got anything to, to add in there about that? Lost some Durham acres, which was surprising, but yeah, I anything think on stocks or acres? Um, the only thing I would say uh, on the winter wheat acres, it, that's not a surprise necessarily because we know we were going to see some abandonment. Um, it'll be interesting here when we get to um, the actual WASD when we get our first buy class for everything on how that shakes out. But uh, you mentioned spring wheat. Um, that's maybe a bit of a surprise, but but uh, I would I would put it in the category of not too much of a surprise. We we um, we were kind of expecting, at least I was expecting to see better spring wheat acres. And uh, the the notion that we were up over a half million on spring wheat and actually down 
you know, a quarter of a million or, or 300,000 there on Durham. It's, it's more of a, uh, a mix issue than, than anything else. Um, it, it, it hurts a little bit, but probably doesn't hurt the, um, the Durham market going forward too much. Uh, that's probably enough. And, and we know that we've got, or, or at least from stats can anyway, that we should have more acres up in Canada as well. So, okay. All right. Well, that's the report. Now let's talk a little bit about implications. Um, if you look at the yellow column right in the middle, um, this is where Bill currently is. This is where the USDA is for this is old crop. Now, 5% of use is razor thin. We've talked about that before. That's two and a half or so weeks worth of beans left at the beginning of September. We typically don't start bean harvest till mid-late September. So pretty much you have enough beans to get to the finish line, but you're going to be out when you get there and, you, and harvest starts. We thought, and this is last month's WASDI. This is the USDA June WASDI. There's that big step back away from the edge of the precipice. But this is using the old acreage number. The USDA will certainly update this next Wednesday when we get the new WASDI. Here is Bill's first pass. Using the lower acreage number in the 52 bushel an acre trend yields, boy, we just don't really get too far back away from the edge of the cliff. We're just a little bit over 6% of use. And look at the big drop that Bill has in the export line here. Um, Bill has got a bigger crush. He still believes that we will have enough beans to, to run all these new crush plants or whatever part of them we need to run. Um, and we will get that out of exports. I think that's a very plausible expecta expectation at this particular point in time. And the reason for that is, remember, we're coming off a record large Brazilian crop, the mother of all record bean crops. Now, Argentina had a disaster. Brazilian farmers are making a lot of money, expecting a big acreage increase down there again. If you assume normal weather in the next crop cycle here coming out of South America, they should have, you know, just a return to normal production in Argentina and yet another new record crop with average yields in Brazil. It's certainly possible to believe that we would have lower export totals and can keep more of those beans at home to crush. If you notice that statement that I just mentioned had a lot of ifs in it. Um, a lot of those ifs has to do with Mother Nature, uh, and she has been a little bit cranky, as you know, the last couple of years. So um, we're really kind of at a spot in the U.S. and the world that that we really need, we do need to make some crops here. And some adverse weather as we move out into July and certainly August with beans um, will be met with some pretty, pretty violent price moves, I would think, in the soy complex because we just cannot afford uh, not to make a crop. <clears throat> So, so let's talk about this this decline that we got. This is this is the the acreage changes from the March intentions report to the June WASDI, and you could see that the, this four million acres over here. Well, you could see this has happened before, but I would argue that what we saw last Friday is in fact unprecedented because again, in 2019 we had this horribly wet year. We had tremendous flooding out here in the Western Corn Belt. Uh, lost a lot of prevent plant acres up in the Dakotas, had quite a bit of flooding in the Red River Valley uh, up in North Dakota. And so going into that June report in 2019, the market was already bracing for a lot of prevent plant. The market knew we were going to lose a lot of acres. This one, we didn't have that because we had a normal planting cycle. And we've really never seen anything quite like this with a normal planting cycle. It's always had a prevent plant component to it. So not sure what to tell you there. When you look at the state by state, I think I had uh, this headline on one of the other slides. Uh, 
every single solitary one of the 13 top producing soybean states planted less to beans. So why becomes the next question. And at this point, we get into theories because there is no uh, definitive explanation at this point. But the best theory, the best possible reason that we can give you for why this probably happened was that if you remember last fall, last summer and going into planting last fall, um, uh, or, you know, into harvest last fall, we were looking at uh, extremely historically high, in fact, record high nitrogen prices. Anhydrous prices were off the charts. They were much higher than we had ever seen them. Takes a lot more nitrogen, a lot more fertilizer to grow corn than it does to grow beans. It's a much more expensive crop to put in the ground, okay? But when you look at all the pieces, first off, farmers are not necessarily hurting for money right now. Farm incomes are up. They've been up for the last five or six years. Um, farmers are in pretty good financial shape. They can afford to take a risk. As we got into this spring planting cycle, anhydrous prices, uh, nitrogen prices had dropped considerably from those all-time highs. Now, they were still historically expensive, but corn's not exactly cheap either. I'll remind you that the February insurance price for corn is $5.91 a bushel. And I think farmers might have been feeling at the last minute saying, you know what, with this lower nitrogen price, I'm going to take the chance of planting more beans. Because it's like Farmer Dave, Nate's, uh, Nate, Nate's uh, buddy. Um, it kind you of mean said, more look, corn. You more, more corn, corn. yeah. Yeah, I yeah. meant more corn. And Farmer Dave, Nate's buddy, has kind of made the comment to us before that he said, you know what, if I got moisture in the spring, um, I really like to plant corn because sometimes I can absolutely hit it out of the park on a yield uh, on corn. And I think when you combine the lower input costs that farmers saw right at the last minute going into planting and making those planting decisions, um, with the fact that they're in decent financial shape right now, they can afford to take a risk. We had decent spring moisture, got a little bit dry there in June, but when they were putting this crop in the ground, they had decent soil moisture. And I think all those things coalesced to get us a last minute push by farmers to put more corn in the ground. Nate, anything you think I need to add to that or? Oh, I think you hit it pretty good. I think you hit it pretty good. All right, so let's get after it here. I'm going to show you crop conditions here in a minute. Crop conditions really didn't go up very much. Actually, they went up a percent on beans or corn down a percent on beans. But I think in the next couple of weeks, we'll probably see crop conditions, corn conditions especially, start to rebound and rebound pretty quickly. I finally got this before and after picture that I was talking about last week that I was hoping to get. The picture on the right you've seen before. I actually got in a little bit closer so you can see that rolled up corn spiking. That's two weeks ago. What you're looking at on the right-hand side is the same field after this two-plus-inch rain we got on the 1st of July. Uh, rode up there, pulled a motorcycle off the side of the road, took that picture, and you could see that cornfield that looks horrible on the left and probably would have gotten a fair or poor rating. Uh, somebody drove by that same field after this two-inch rain uh, was going to look a lot better. I thought we would see a, good, a little bit more of that find its way into the crop condition reports Monday. Um, but, you know, we've talked about how subjective these are. We've also talked about how a lot of these reports get filed kind of later in the week, maybe before uh, the actual rain came. So I think we'll get a, a lot of the benefit of the rain that Paige is going to talk about here in a bit. Um, we'll, we'll see that. <clears throat> Look at that corn price at the top. Down 16.5% in a single week. I'd have to go back and see where that fits into the historical context. 
But when you now look at 94 and a half or 94.1 million acres of corn planted and the weather getting better, all of a sudden you're talking about, you can see the bearish factors down there. Um, we'll be swimming in corn if we make any, anything close to a trend line yield. Um, that is a lot of corn acres. Uh, the weather's getting better right at the right time, as we talked about. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about the, the percentage of the crop that's pollinating. Uh, I think we typically reach that 50% pollinated mark nationally in the U.S. between the 15th and the 20th of July. So it's really kind of that third week of July that we all focus on for corn pollination. And you like moisture and you like cooler temperatures. And I hope I didn't upstage Paige here when we get to the weather. But I think Paige is going to tell you kind of that that looks like that's what's coming based on at least the forecast we can see. We still got a crop that's a little rough. 51% uh, is good to excellent. That's up a tick, like I said, from last week, but it's well below the 64% we were last year at this time. Again, I do think you'll see that bounce back pretty quick. As of, I think, the 27th or 28th of June, we've got 70% of U.S. corn area in drought. Here's the picture there. By the way, look at the uh, bullish side. We really couldn't Think of a whole lot of stuff that was bullish corn. I guess we we do have some weather risk with July before us here, but um, that's what the corn market's suffering from. <clears throat> you can see the last update here is the 27th of June. A lot of corn in drought, but you know what? You're going to see that change pretty quick, uh, I think, with the moisture uh, that we've had. So there's your pollinating. There's your corn silking. We've got about 8% of the crop uh, that is silking pretty close to the five-year average. Really nothing to see there. Uh, but again, this number, we, we should see this number here get to be about 50% here uh, in the next couple of weeks. I was a little bit surprised to see, I've got more corn that's shooting tassels around here than I thought uh, to see. It's like all of a sudden they just start showing up. But anyway, uh, whoop, there we go, Scott. You want to talk to us about what's going on in the wheat market? Yeah, wheat was, uh, again, a little bit of a follower. Um, on the winter wheat side of things, harvest is rolling along. We're um, on average, we're normally about the halfway mark, um, not quite there. Uh, we'll, we'll I'll talk about that a little bit more on the next slide. But for this slide here, the, the market action was, uh, again, lower. We went down 13% in Chicago. Um, not terribly surprising knowing that, that corn was down as much as it was. Um, Kansas City, not quite as much as, as you know, that's going to be the tighter class already is tight and uh, not going to have as good of, of, uh, of a crop this year. Um, and not a lot changed in the world of pricing uh, other than you see everything else is down. Um, Argentine prices were down, French prices were down, um, but Russia still the low guy uh, in that game. Um, we mentioned the Black Sea Grain Initiative again. I, I, you know, we'll we'll talk about it again. I think for the next two weeks and whether we get a, an extension or not, um, I'm not <clears throat> sure that it's going to affect price action a heck of a lot at this point. But certainly we'll continue to talk about it. And so let's talk again about uh, conditions right now. We're at 40 percent on winter wheat conditions here in the states. We really don't need to talk much about it going forward. Um, if you want to dig down into the details, we lost a percent on the excellent and gained a percent on the good. Doesn't really matter. We're harvesting right now and, and uh, is not uh, a big deal. Spring wheat conditions uh, down a couple more um, uh, this past week. I think Wasn't just that like surprising. Dave, 
a or is little that just bit. early? I think it's early. I think it's early, number one. And number two, like you said, I think we'll see that rebound here uh, as, as time goes forward. Um, the spring wheat otherwise uh, looks pretty good. You're 50% headed. Um, and, uh, you know, there's some talk of dryness around here and there. But uh, I'm not con too concerned about that. If you flip to the next slide, you'll see some wheat harvest results uh, on the winter wheat. Um, Hard wheat is all over the map, and we kind of expected that going in. You're, uh, again, round numbers, call it 50% complete. You're uh, nearing uh, completion in Texas and Oklahoma, and you're about halfway in Kansas. Really haven't started much of any here in Nebraska or Colorado, certainly South Dakota, Montana, um, and, and yields everywhere. Um, I have heard, even with all of this dryness this year, that we've seen some stuff as much as 50 bushels an acre, and that's in Kansas. So uh, we'll see. Uh, certainly, we're going to have a crop that's higher um, in protein than normal. It's coming in early, a percent and a half or so above normal. Um, and you're, even though your falling numbers are a little bit lower than normal or than average, that's still really nice uh, falling numbers. So the quality appears pretty good. On the uh, soft wheat side, um, you know, outstanding yields, you know, just fantastic yields, especially from Illinois. Um, we're hearing stuff as, as high as in the 140s. Now I put on this slide 90 on to 100. Wheat? On wheat. Holy on wheat. moly, Rocky. 90 to 110 bushels per acre. In fact, we were talking before the call here. Uh, Nate was sharing that um, his his buddy Dave up there in Minnesota had some winter wheat um, uh, that that did over 100 bushels. So um, that crop is just looking great. Uh, little in the just, way of disease. Go ahead, Nate. Just to clarify, it wasn't my buddy Farmer Dave. It was my cousin in Missouri that had the, the wheat. Oh, well, that makes a, Minnesota. No. Yeah, well, then that's that's where I was uh, having difficulty with it. Yes, that makes yeah. much more sense. <laughs> I don't want somebody um, to be listening to this and say they grow winter wheat in Minnesota. No, we did I not grow winter wheat. In I didn't it think they did, but I missed that critical piece of information. Yeah. So yeah, thanks too. for the clarification. Um, yeah, but but again, we have heard little in the way of of any disease or or pest pressure this year. Um, quality, I mean, unless they get a lot of rain here at the end of the crop, it should be quite, quite good. A um, little lower on protein um, in, in, in areas. Um, the stuff that they've had so far is actually ahead of last year in terms of protein. Call it a half a percent, but that's not a big deal. And falling numbers, uh, uh, again, looking pretty good. We'll want to be watching that weather to make sure we don't have a lot more rain on this crop right at the end of harvest but that crop looks outstanding all right so, well thank you thank you yeah. scotty uh looking at the soy complex now you might look at soybeans and say well geez 83 and a half why was soybeans only up 38 cents uh 2.7 percent it's because if you remember up until friday soybeans and corn were both trending lower because the weather forecasts were improving so uh, we were up way more than that 38 cents on Friday. I think we ended the day, I don't know what, 70 something cents higher, Nate. Um, should have probably written that down, but we had a big, big, big rebound uh, on Friday. Soybean oil continues to, to, to rock and roll here, but it really was that acreage number uh, that I talked about. One of the other things as we talked with Bill about 
uh, in the aftermath, uh, the wreckage following this report. Uh, you know, a, a lot of people, even Karen Braun, I think, tweeted, you know, as I did when I was standing there waiting for my my screen to give me a correction. Uh, she was also looking for a correction to the number that we never got. Could it be wrong? Well, you know what? Could be, I suppose, but it is what it is. That is what we have to work with. The USDA will not make an adjustment to this till the very least, uh, probably September of this year. Um, one of the things that Bill did mention is, you know, if a farmer's looking at this and he's looking at historically very high soybean prices, especially after this report, um, you could double crop soybeans in after you're harvesting your wheat, especially this happens in uh, the eastern half of the U.S. where we do a soft red winter wheat harvest as it comes out, we can plant beans in behind it. And there might be a tremendous economic incentive. I think the USDA, Bill said, used the same 4% of those acres would be double cropped that they use every year. If that would jump to six, that'd give us another million and a half acres of beans. So is it possible we find a few more acres of uh, uh, you know, maybe this this uh, late this summer, early this fall, when the USDA updates or could update. I suppose it's possible, but the message here is that is what we have to work with at this particular point in time. As I mentioned on the bullish factor side, this takes a tight old crop situation and perpetuates it into new crop. Uh, how tight new crop is again is going to be highly dependent on what Mother Nature does does to us here. Uh, in the next next 60 days. Again, 63% of the soybean areas in drought way ahead of where we were this time last year, but uh, better weather ought to start to uh, to change that pretty quickly. And on the vegetable front, I know uh, I wanted to uh, update a couple things here. <clears throat> I think Paige is gonna talk about, maybe it looks like it's starting to turn off a little bit dry uh, in Canada. Uh, more on that here in a bit. Uh, North Dakota crops, I know people up there, obviously, with, with the canola crop and the sunflower crop up there. Crop isn't great looking. We've got 52% of the canola crop rated as good or excellent, 50, or 53 on the canola, 52% on the sunflower crop. Um, it is early, and with the rains they've had, I do think we'll see those kind of come up too. So I don't really see a whole lot of problem today uh, with North American crops. Um, on the bullish side of things, I mean, they're still beating the El Nino drum. They're still worried about potential production problems much later this year or into next year. But uh, we got a palm oil stocks number coming out next week and probably going to see a 10% jump in palm oil stocks. So don't know that we really, palm oil is is very much like Scott was talking about. Wheat is following corn. Palm oil is following this, uh, what has gotten to be a pretty volatile soybean oil futures market. Um, that's what's uh, really driving those markets. So. That's what I've got on the green side of things. Uh, Jay, what's uh, what's going on in the dairy markets? Um, good morning. Um, not as much volatility as you guys have been talking about on the grain side, but on the class three milk futures, we're down. So the message is kind of the same, more of the same way it's been for the last few weeks, quite honestly. So class three milk down about 7.6% versus last week. Cheese futures down 6.9 and butter's kind of hanging around down 1%. Um, I do notice I've got a typo on the futures on the butter uh, versus last year. We're actually down 18.9% versus last year. And if you'll recall, last year is really kind of July 1st going forward is when butter really peaked. And we hit about $3 and kind of hung there all the way until about the last two weeks of December. And so versus Didn't we last get to like year. like 3.30 or 3.32 or something like yeah, that was the high? Yeah. Record high. So this is kind of like the beginning. If you, like I said, you went back a year ago. This is kind of when we were off to the races last year, and butter got to three bucks. Never really looked back. 
Um, Dave, if you go to the next slide, I want to call out a few things on the charts that I think are important. So when we look at the class three futures forward curve, again, right now, plenty of milk. We've got more than enough milk around. Um, that's why you're seeing a deep discount. And that's why, quite honestly, in the upper Midwest here, you're seeing uh, milk trade at a discount into the cheese market just because there's so much of it. Um, milk production has been really good. Dairy herd's been doing well. Our producers' margins are getting squeezed, and that's what's really going to kind of foretell for the last half of this year. If you look at the cash settled cheese futures forward curve, more of the same. Frozen pizza demand has not been good, which is fresh cheese from mozzarella. And again, as I mentioned, milk trading below class. And so there's a deep, deep discount. In fact, when you look at the forward curve relative to the spot market, spot market's actually trading on block cheese at a 20 cent per pound discount relative to the futures. So again, futures sitting around $1.60, we're at about $1.40 or less on the spot market for cheese. Now, when hey, you look Jay. at the forward, Sure. Is is that why? I mean, you get this, you get these this big premiums forward in both the class three and in the cheese market. Not coincidentally, is, mm -hmm. is the basic notion there that hey, if I could buy if I could buy milk below class, I'll sell the cheese cheaper. Um, but yeah. since I can't do that out on the curve, and I don't know that I'll be able to buy that discount to class out on the curve, I got I can't sell the discount on the cheese. Is that why those curves are almost identical? Yeah, they they tend to be almost identical because of the reasons that you've talked about. And again, I think when you look at the dairy herd, everybody's forecasting contraction. If you go back to, if you go to protein prices, beef prices are at record high, but we're anticipating contraction in the dairy herd, which is gonna kind of reduce the amount of milk we're gonna be producing. The cheese forward curve very rarely gives up uh, much until we kind of get there. It's more, mm -hmm. the cheese market tends to look and say, what do I have in the next 30 to 45 days? And really reflects that. And again, once we get into the Q4, cheese demand generally seasonally goes up. And then if you even look at like the butter market on the forward curve too there, Dave, you can see demand generally goes up into the baking season. So butter really hasn't done much of anything. Uh, my earlier comment, you know, last July we were at $3 and never really looked back. The bid has been really firm within the butter market. The butter market demand has been good, where mm -hmm. the demand for nearby milk is not good and nearby demand for cheese is not good. If you look at the bottom charts on class three, we haven't been this low for the last four years. I mean, 2020 would have been the last time that we've gotten near here. I mean, that's COVID. Um, that's the COVID year. If you look at cheese, we haven't had this low price of cheese for the last five years. And if you look at butter, butter just kind of is going left to right. And really, we're lower on a year-over-year year year basis. So again, I think more than enough milk. Cheese demand is extremely soft in the nearby. Butter demand is actually pretty decent and, isn't, and it is forecasted to increase seasonally as we go into Q4. So again, kind of the same message that we've been talking about, not anticipating um, a lot of changes going forward, to be honest with you, Dave. I'm doing my part to keep butter demand, uh, the butter demand solid. So, well, thank you we for that, Jay. That. Uh, now let's get into the all important weather markets. Tis the season. What do you got for us, Paige? Yeah, this is that past seven day precipitation map that we always kind of start off looking at. Um, and we really have been getting some better rains the past week. I know here um, in that bottom little eastern corner of Nebraska is kind of what right where we're at and we've been getting some pretty good rains Finally. um yep we had some pretty good storm 
a pretty decent sized storm that rolled through um, yesterday. Yep. We had a nice 4th of July storm. Um, I think this past weekend, I think it was, was it Saturday that it rained pretty much all day long, which I can't remember the last time we had one of those. Um, where it kind of just steadily rained all day long, uh, which we desperately, desperately needed. And you can see a lot of those uh, heavier rains kind of move through um, southern Iowa. Illinois got a pretty good drink and kind of over into Indiana and Ohio. Looks like, um, at least in this precipitation map, looks like those areas got some pretty good rains. I think as we go through, we might see kind of those areas that got those rains get bigger um, it seems like we've been having some good rains. So that is definitely helpful. This is the seven-day forecast. Um, it seems like pretty much the better part of the last two weeks. We've seen a lot more of those purple and reds, kind of darker, um, heavier rain colors move in. This is no longer just kind of a green map. Green. <laughs> seems like it was green and white. Green and white, while. yep. Yeah. So seeing a lot of color move back in, and that is, aside from not, really being in North Dakota, this is the entirety of the Corn Belt, um, is either blue, purple, or red. Um, so with everything being dry, crop conditions being poor, uh, this is this is definitely going to help. Um, I know Dave said a little surprised that crop condition or corn conditions only went up one. A little surprised, I'm, I guess I'm a little surprised that bean conditions went down one. Um, but these rains should help. We should hopefully see a lot of those condition ratings kind of come back up, hopefully in a little bit of a hurry here uh, with kind of significantly better rains the past week or two. And it looks like a pretty good at least seven-day forecast. Um, if you want to look like the, Canada gets much, though, does it? Oh, yeah. Yep. I was going to touch on that one. It looks like all of those rains are staying um, a little bit too far east to kind of hit a lot of that canola area. Um, kind of right across that North Dakota border looks a little white and only some kind of minor rains up there. Um, probably not overly critical at this point, but they are seem to be drying out here a little bit. So something to keep an eye on up there. These uh, longer term forecasts are kind of exactly what we have been hoping for. Um, the 6 to 10 and 8 to 14 day maps are both calling for below average temperature and above average precipitation, which is quite literally exactly what we are needing. Um, the I tell minor you what, rains, if you look at the if you look at the date range on the eight to fourteen day, that projects out to the sixteenth of July. That is in that window where we should hit the, the 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 peak in the U.S. of corn pollination. And cool and wet is what you're looking for, and that seems to be what the forecast map is. It doesn't change. Yeah. Yep, we'll definitely keep an eye on this one. So, looks like longer-term forecasts are looking a lot better than they have been um, for the U.S. <clears throat> and again, just kind of touching back on Canada, this is the past seven-day accumulated rainfall. Um, you can see they got some decent rains kind of on the outskirts um, of the prairies, but it's kind of that main part of Saskatchewan that's still looking a little bit brown. It looks like they got some patchy rains. Um, again, we're not really hearing anything um, from our friends across the border, but it is getting a little bit dry up there. 
Yeah, I would no. think with that seven day forecast and then that soil moisture map on the left uh, of this slide here, you think it would start to be because July kind of like for for corn. I mean, July is the month for canola as well. Um, and, and you would think we're not starting off uh, July with a ton of soil moisture. We're not starting off July with a, a nifty seven day forecast. So um, this is something maybe to start sliding on the on the edge of your risk radar screen. I'm going to be watching here the weather over the next handful of weeks is uh, up north of the border. All right, Paige, thank you for that. And uh, I'd like to thank all of you for listening. Uh, as always, we'd love to hear from you. If you got any comments about how we could change this and make it better, um, maybe shorter would be one. We went a little bit long today, but a lot to talk about with that big report Friday. Um, as always, we appreciate you listening in. And uh, as always, be careful out there.